Today's reading is from Luke 21, verse 5 through 38. It is on page 880 in the church Bibles. It says this, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, The days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will, not, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives." But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people." They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. 
And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. If I don't know you, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, Windsor Community Church. There's this phenomenon when you're up in the mountains. When you're up hiking or backpacking, it can be a bit disorienting. If you've spent time in the mountains, if you're a backpacker or hiker, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You're up in the mountains and you see a a ridge off in the distance that you want to get to. And it doesn't look too far. And so you start out. But what what ends up happening? It ends up being much further and more difficult than you thought because what you couldn't see from where you were, from your vantage point, were the valleys and the other ridge lines that were hidden between you and the ridge line you wanted to go to. A similar phenomenon exists with biblical prophecy. As we hear a prophet predict a future event, we see this ridge line. But from our vantage point, we don't have a clear view of what other ridge lines or events that prophet may be pointing to. From where we stand, we can't see the valleys that are between the ridges, if you will. We're going to experience some of that in our time together this morning. We're going to hear Jesus speak of future events in Luke 21 in this prophetic, apocalyptic way. And for a lot of us, this type of imagery and language is hard to make sense of. And then you add on trying to discern which ridges Jesus is speaking of and what are the valleys that stand between those things. Another aspect of of what makes this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning a bit difficult is our tendency to think how prophets spoke being only predictive. There are many times throughout the Old Testament that the prophets speak, and even Jesus here, where they're not only predicting future events, but often, more importantly, what they're doing to the prediction, more importantly to the prediction and the fulfillments of prophecy is that they're setting expectations for the people of God. This is important for us to grasp this morning. Beyond predicting future events, Jesus is setting expectation for his people to see and to experience the upside-down kingdom of God that we've been looking at throughout our time in Luke. And so through this passage, he speaks as a prophet, both in his predictions but also in his setting of right expectations. And so that means this morning we're going to look at what Jesus is telling his followers is coming. But as hearers of God's word today, we need to allow that to shape our expectations. We need to allow that to inform the way we look to and experience the kingdom of God in our midst. And so in this passage, as you just read it heard, we're left wondering what Jesus is talking about. Is he talking about what would happen in 70 AD? Right? Is Jesus talking about this cataclysmic, earth-shattering event that would happen 37 years after this, where Rome would attack the Jews for four years and eventually march into Jerusalem and burn the city and destroy the temple? Is that the ridgeline that that Jesus is pointing to? Or is he talking about a completely different ridgeline altogether? I want to be really honest with us this morning. 
This is a widely debated passage. There are countless Bible scholars, pastors, and theologians that are much smarter than me who love Jesus and the gospel and have differing opinions on what Jesus is saying in Luke 21, 5 through 38. But friends, this type of debate among scholars doesn't mean that we shouldn't study the word, that we shouldn't wrestle with this text and form a view on what we think is happening. I'm going to preach with a certain view on what I believe Jesus is saying this morning. But here's what we do have to do. We need to hold our views humbly and with a loose grip and let God inform our thinking. And so with that being said, it's really important for us to remember that Luke 21 comes in the context of Luke's whole gospel. This interaction between Jesus and the crowd in the temple comes in the context of Jesus' movement towards Jerusalem that we've been going through the last number of weeks. Right? You remember a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It says he weeps over the city. And then he makes his way to the temple and he overturns the tables of the money changers and he says, you've made my house a den of robbers. And then last week we saw his authority is challenged by the chief priests and scribes within the temple walls. So this passage doesn't fall out of nowhere for us. We need to remember that Jesus has been moving toward Jerusalem. He's, he's proclaiming with more and more urgency, more and more authority, that the upside-down kingdom of God will be established in his coming, in his dying, rising, and ascending to heaven. And in this passage, he's helping his disciples. He's equipping his disciples to see and understand what life in this new upside-down kingdom will be. That's what he's doing here this morning in our text for us as well. Jesus is instructing us how to follow him when it feels like the world is falling apart. That's what I believe the main point of this passage is, and therefore it's going to be the main point of our sermon. How to follow Jesus when it feels like the world is falling apart. And here's what's true. When it feels like the world is falling apart. When we look out around us and we see our culture running headlong towards human secularism. When we feel the tension of another presidential election coming down the pipe. When we feel like the church is being pushed out by culture. Or maybe more personally, we suffer the effects of living in a broken world. Things like sickness, disease, and death. Or we wrestle with how to love family members who are choosing to live in sin. When it feels like the world is falling apart in deep, personal ways. We as a people are prone to panic. We're prone to fatigue. We're prone to, to disobeying God. Looking to the world and its structures and its power for solutions. Some of us are even prone to giving up. I mean, can we be honest for a moment? Have, have any of those things been, been temptations for you over the last few years as it's felt like the world is falling apart? They have been for me. We get a sense that, that what's true of us, what our propensity is when it feels like the world is falling apart was the same for God's people in the first century. Jesus is so aware of that in this passage, and it's, it's why this morning in our text, he, he wants to encourage and empower his, his disciples to be patient, to endure, to obey him, to keep their heads raised to heaven. 
and to stay alert even when, especially when, feels like the world is falling apart. And so that's going to be our structure this morning. It's up on the screen behind me. We can follow Jesus when it feels like the world is falling apart by one, patiently enduring. We're going to see that in verses 5 through 19. By obeying him, verses 20 through 24. By keeping our heads raised, verses 25 through 33. And then finally, by staying alert, verses 34 through 38. So we ready to jump in the text? I want want to encourage you, have your Bibles open this morning, especially today. We're going to do some heavy lifting in the Word. But I believe that Jesus is going to meet us in powerful, significant ways and and comfort His people. Let me pray, and, and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, we, we know you. We know your character and nature. We know what you've been up to since the beginning of the world. We, we see your plan of redemption being played out over centuries. Lord, through your word, we know ourselves. We see what our propensity is. And God, your word even helps us see the world around us to make sense of the confusion and the chaos when it feels like the world is falling apart. And so I ask, God, would you comfort us? Would you instruct us? Would you empower us to follow you in the midst of feeling like the world is falling apart? We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. This whole passage we're going to look at this morning, this dialogue between Jesus and his followers, it takes place within the temple walls. Verse 5 tells us that there was some speaking of how magnificent and beautiful the temple was. They call out the noble stones, the offerings, and it's right here we have to remember what the temple would mean to first century Jewish people. The temple was the centerpiece of the kingdom of Israel. It was not only the place of worship, it was not only the place where the high priest would make sacrifice and atonement for the people's sin, but it was their, their symbolic center, right? The, the Jews knew the, the temple and it revolved around everything they did as a people and a community and what they believed. So the, the, the temple was central to their life, to their worship, and to their community. And then look what Jesus' response to the people's amazement is. Verse 6. As for these things that you see, the temple and its beauty, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What's Jesus saying here? He's actually not saying anything that he hasn't already said. If you remember Chad's sermon from a couple weeks ago, Jesus enters the city. He weeps over Jerusalem. He's looking at the temple that stood in the center of the city. And he says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. Luke 19, 43. And so Jesus is saying again that the temple has an expiration date. There's coming a day when the temple will be utterly and totally destroyed. And imagine, imagine what his Jewish followers, those overhearing this prophecy within the temple walls, no less, must have been thinking. They had to have been confused and disoriented. And it causes them to ask two questions. And it's really important that we, that we get these two questions. It's these two questions that the crowd asks Jesus and that he responds to that really helps unlock the meaning of this passage for us. Here's what they ask. When will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? 
When will these things be? And what will the sign that these things will take place? Now, what do the people mean by these things? Think back. What did Jesus just say? He's predicted the destruction of the temple. He's predicted the coming judgment of God on the leadership and on the systems and the structures and the nation of Israel. And so what they're asking is, when are those things, when is the judgment of the nation of Israel going to fall through the destruction of the temple? When are those things going to happen? And here's how Jesus begins to answer their question. Verse 8. And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance you will gain your lives. Is Jesus talking about the end of the world here? Or is he talking about what the disciples will experience over the next 40 years leading up to the destruction of the temple? We have to remember the questions Jesus is answering. When will these things be? When will every stone be overturned and tore down? And in this opening section, Jesus does not answer their question directly, does he? Rather, he says, there are going to be false messiahs and false prophets that come to try and lead you astray. There are going to be wars and uprisings. Nations will rise. Kingdoms will fall. There's going to be all kinds of crazy natural disasters that you're going to hear of and experience. Some of you will be persecuted, drugged before kings and governors. Your own families will betray you and deliver you up. You'll be hated for my name. It's going to feel like the world is falling apart. But notice, is that when these things will be? Look at the end of verse 9. But the end will not be at once. Jesus is saying that these things aren't the sign that the end is near. In fact, they're the sign that the end is not near. And so we have to ask ourselves, were were those things true for the 40 years after Jesus? In history, absolutely. If you read history books on that time period, you'll see all of these things being true. There were military conquests by Rome. Jewish zealots rose up and fought against them. There were earthquakes. The book of Acts accounts massive famines in the land during that time. All of these things happened in the 40 years preceding this prophecy. But let me ask you a question. Could all of those things be true of the last 40 years of history? Definitely, right? If we looked globally, we would see wars and tumults, nations rising, kingdoms falling, earthquakes. We've all heard of false prophets and false messiahs trying to lead God's people astray. The reality is that all these things are true of any 40-year period in the history of the world. 
They were, they were certainly true of the time leading up to 70 AD that Jesus is predicting. They're certainly true of the last 40 years as we look back over time. But I contend they're true of every era of history because these things are a reality of living in a sinful, fallen world. So what's Jesus doing here? He's, he's speaking like a prophet, saying multiple true things at the same time. He's speaking to the generation that's standing before him, warning them that, that they will face hard things and that there's going to be trials that they have to endure as God's people. But as a prophet, he's also speaking to generations beyond his own. And he's setting their expectations. He's warning all of his people to know that there will be times that it feels like the world is falling apart all around us. But we don't have to panic. We don't have to, to start making predictions and trying to line up current events to biblical prophecy. It doesn't necessarily mean the, world is at our, the end of the world is at our doorstep. It simply means we're in the current of history, experiencing the effects of a sinful, fallen world. So how do we follow Jesus when it feels like the world is falling apart? This is our first point with the same encouragement he gave the crowd before him, with patient endurance. We patiently endure, knowing that these things are going to take place. And so we're called to be patient. We don't need to panic. We don't need to, to look to conspiracy theories or talking heads to try and make sense of all the ways the world is falling apart. We're patient knowing Jesus says, this is part of what following me feels like. And then we endure. Look at verse 19. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Friends, there are so many things we experience in life that are going to push us to drift, that are going to push us to panic, to, to be fearful. There will be things that cause us to grow towards, cold towards Jesus, cold towards his church and the mission he's called us to. But, but what he's pointing us towards here is to recognize that the things that can tempt us in those ways are an expected part of being a Jesus follower. The church. God's people have been going through this from its inception. And yet, what do we see them do over and over throughout history? In the midst of persecution, in the midst of wars and phantoms, we see the people of God patiently endure and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, this, the midst of all that's happening, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. The persecution, the false prophets, the natural disasters, all these things that make it feel like the world is falling apart will be opportunities for God's people to shine. See, the reality is it's not just those of us in the church that are feeling the effects of this broken world. I mean, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our families, they feel it too. And as we live with patience and not panic, when we endure with hope, we have a tremendous opportunity to bear witness for Jesus to a watching, hurting world. So how do we follow Jesus when it feels like the world is falling apart? Number one, we patiently endure, knowing this is all part of life in a fallen world. Second, we obey what Jesus says. We obey what Jesus says. We remember his words, we hear his words, and we obey what he says. Now, we got to remember, the crowds are asking Jesus, when the destruction of the temple will occur. And so far, he said, it's not going to be when you see false messiahs, wars, and famines. It's not when you experience persecution and earthquakes. So when is it? 
Look at verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come near. And then Jesus says, when you see that happening, run. Get out. Look at verse 21. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. I assume most of us are not ancient Jewish scholars, so we're not very familiar with what happened leading up to 70 AD in the city of Jerusalem, and particularly the four years leading up to its final destruction. If you're interested in reading more about this era of history, I would recommend a book called The Wars of the Jews, written by a man named Josephus. Josephus was a priest who became a historian for the Roman Empire, and he recounts the years leading up to 70 AD this way. He says that that the the, the war that began in 66 AD reached its climax in 70 as four Roman legions laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. The war had been so brutal and long that people were already starving inside the city walls. Infighting among the Jewish people had decimated their food and supply chains. Josephus even recounts people had turned to cannibalism within the city walls. Eventually, 70 AD, the Romans break through the walls, and Josephus records it this way. The victors, the Romans, plundered everything that fell in their way and slaughtered wholesale all who were caught. No pity was shown for age, no reverence for rank, Children and graybeards, laity and priests, all alike were massacred. Bodies were heaped so high, you could barely see the ground. Eventually, the temple was taken over. Everything in it was burned, and not one stone was left on another. The holy city of Jerusalem was completely and totally ransacked. Josephus records that over one million Jews were killed between 66 and 70 AD. But you know who wasn't? The Christians. Eusebius, another ancient historian, says there is no record of any Christians dying in the siege of 70 AD. Why is that? Because they remembered the words of Jesus to flee. They got out of the city. They dispersed from Jerusalem, and they weren't caught up in the judgment that fell on the nation of Israel. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to feel like the world is falling apart. There are going to be things that cause you to question who I am, false prophets that will look to lead you astray, but you can follow me when it feels like the world is falling apart by remembering my words and obeying. See, friends, the temple was destroyed because the nation of Israel rebelled against God. They'd gone their own way. They'd acted in self-righteousness. They've disobeyed the commands of God to be a hope and light to the world, and God's judgment fell on them. And the reality is God's judgment will fall on all those who rebel against him. And the only way any of us will escape the just, right judgment of God is by trusting and obeying the words of Jesus. God's word in Acts 16.30 answers the question a man poses. He says, what must I do to be saved? And here's what the word of God says. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. The Christians in the first century were saved from God's judgment on Israel by obeying Jesus and fleeing. 
And we are saved from God's judgment by fleeing our sin and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if you're here with us this morning and you don't know Christ as Lord, you've never turned to him and asked him to forgive you of your sin, you've never put your faith and trust and asked him to be Lord of your life, I would encourage you, hear these words and obey. Trust in the Lord Jesus to be saved. We can follow Jesus when it feels like the world is falling apart by patiently enduring, by obeying him. And now we'll see we follow him by keeping our heads raised. Now, this next section is where scholars tend to disagree. And to say again, there are biblical scholars who I love and respect that see Jesus making this shift without much warning from predicting the 40 years leading up to the temple being destroyed to now speaking of his future return. And that's possible. But it's also possible. And many scholars agree that Jesus hasn't shifted what he's talking about at all but he's shifted the perspective in which he's talking about it from from an earthly perspective to to a heavenly one. And so let's look at it together. Verse 25, and there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Part of the difficulty of this passage is what Jesus says in those verses we just looked at are made up of quotations and allusions from a number of Old Testament passages. And we don't have time to look at all of them, but I want to spend time on two, Isaiah 13 and Daniel 7. And so here's the first one. Verse 25 uses this language and imagery that Isaiah uses to foretell the coming judgment on Babylon. And if we remember our Old Testament history, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying judgment and destruction on the nation of Babylon for them coming into Judah and taking them exile. This is what Isaiah says in 13, 9 and 10 about Babylon. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. He's talking about the nation of Babylon there. Here's what Jesus quotes. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. And so why does Jesus quote this text out of Isaiah chapter 13? He does so because Jesus looks ahead to this event in 40 years and uses the same prophetic imagery as God's judgment on Babylon to describe what was happening to Israel. What Jesus is saying is Israel has become Babylon in its unfaithfulness, in its rebellion, and even now in its judgment. God is removing the kingdom of Israel. It was common practice for Old Testament prophets to use cosmic imagery of stars and moon to represent kings and kingdoms. So what Jesus is saying by quoting Isaiah 13, he's saying the stars and moon of Israel are being darkened. They will no longer exist, but something else will take its place. 
Jesus, after quoting Isaiah 13, quotes another Old Testament passage in verse 27. He says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. And so metaphorically speaking, God's people will look up to the sky and see that the kingdom of Israel has been darkened, but there is something else coming up in its place. And again, Jesus is using very prophetic imagery, but we can begin to understand what Jesus is saying when we see it as a direct quote of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Now again, Old Testament context. What's Daniel 7 about? If you're not familiar with this passage, it's important to understand because Daniel chapter 7 really helps us understand what Jesus has come to do as the Son of Man who ushers in the upside-down kingdom of God. So as you read this language of Son of Man and coming on clouds, right, we need to always think Daniel 7. And what's interesting is that language in Daniel 7 is not about Jesus coming back to earth a second time. It's about Jesus coming to the Father from a heavenly perspective to receive the kingdom that's rightfully his. Listen to Daniel 7's vision. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom to all, that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So what's Jesus communicating as he quotes Daniel? Jesus is saying to his followers that it's going to feel like the world is falling apart. As they watch Jerusalem burn, as they, they see the temple ransacked and destroyed, they're going to feel like the world is falling apart and is out of control. But Jesus is saying, there's a better kingdom taking its place. There's a better, eternal, perfect, upside-down kingdom replacing the kingdom they knew. And he wants them to know that they can raise their heads for their redemption is drawing near. They can take heart and keep their eyes fixed upward where the ruling, reigning king will be on his throne. And then Jesus tells them a short parable. He says, when you look and see the fig tree getting its leaves in the spring, you know that summer is already near. So when you see these things taking place, similar to looking at the tree and seeing its leaves, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. And then look at verse 32. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus is helping them see when it feels like the world is falling apart. And friends, can we just be honest? For all of Jesus' followers, we go through seasons and times where it feels like our personal worlds, the world around us is falling apart. He's in control. He's ruling and reigning today as the king. And he tells them that this generation, that's the generation of people that were standing in front of him in space and time, hearing these words. This generation will not pass away until these things were accomplished. But here's the truth. It wouldn't take a generation for them to experience his promise. In just a few short days after this, Jesus would go from the temple out of the city to a cross. And he's going to die. He's going to be destroyed just like the temple by the Romans. But through his death, he's going to do all the temple was a shadow of. He's going to atone for sin. He's going to mediate between God and man. He's going to be the high priest that we need. 
And after three days, he'll rise from the dead. And 40 days later, the Son of Man will come with the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days to receive his eternal, perfect kingdom. And so Jesus is comforting his followers who have identified with the temple their whole lives. This temple where they would meet Yahweh. It was where they would celebrate his covenant kindness. It was where they would find atonement for their sin. And now they know it will be destroyed and gone. But Jesus lovingly points them to see that something, someone, so much better has taken its place. And if you're a follower of Jesus, when it feels like the world is falling apart, you can know that you're a citizen of that kingdom. And you're just a pilgrim passing through the kingdom of this world. So you don't have to look down here. You don't have to look down here to its structures and systems for peace or power. You don't have to look down here and align with its ungodly rulers. You can keep your head raised, looking to the enthroned, ruling, reigning king of the universe. The king of kings is alive. And we're called to keep our eyes fixed up there where he sits enthroned. So let's take our eyes off this world that feels like it's falling apart and keep our heads raised to where our king is. Amen? Now, no matter what your view is on the interpretation of this passage, whether you agree that Jesus is simply speaking of the 40 years leading up to 70 AD or he's talking about the second coming at the end of the age, those are secondary issues that we can lovingly, charitably disagree on. And friends, here's a side note. Can we just commit, as the people of Windsor Community Church, to disagree in loving ways? My heart aches seeing how many Christians disagree on secondary and tertiary gospel issues. We defame the name of Jesus. We break sweet fellowship. I believe it breaks God's heart. And so could we commit as a people to disagree and to love one another and seek to understand each other, hold the gospel primary, but on these secondary issues, may we be marked in this community, right? We've got, a, we've got an election coming that's going to divide our culture. You're going to disagree with people you're sitting next to this morning. Can we do that in a loving, Christ-like way? Now, it may well be that the events Jesus is speaking of here in the next 40 years locally in Jerusalem, they prefigure what will happen cosmically at the end of time. But we shouldn't think that we're looking for the exact same things to happen in the exact same place. The most important thing for us to take away this morning is not the events that Jesus predicts, but that the Lord is sovereign over all things and that Jesus is the king of God's upside-down kingdom that we no longer have to go to a temple to worship, that we no longer have to sacrifice animals to be forgiven of our sin, that Jesus is the reality of each of those shadows, and he's ruling and reigning today, and he is going to come back again at a day he doesn't even know to consummate his kingdom on earth. That is the greatest news that we can all be in 100% agreement on, full stop. So how do we follow Jesus when it feels like the world is falling apart? We patiently endure this life knowing that there will be seasons of pain and suffering. We obey his words to trust and trust him to flee and escape judgment. We keep our heads raised to the one who is ruling and reigning over all things. And finally, 
we stay alert. Jesus' audience just heard that there will be this great cosmic kingdom reversal when Jerusalem would fall, and he'd receive his eternal kingdom and his ascension. And yet Jesus is very clear as we look at the last part of our passage this morning. He's very clear to point out the fact that in the time between his ascension and his second coming, however long that's going to be, his people need to stay alert, to be on watch, to keep their head in the game. Verse 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that, you, and that they may come upon you suddenly like a trap. When it feels like the world is falling apart, we can look for ways to escape the pain and suffering, can't we? Jesus recognized it. He says, keep a watch on yourself. Don't fall into the trap of escapism, of withdrawal, of numbing yourself to stress and anxiety of your life. Be on guard, he says. And then he goes on in verse 36, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these that are going to take place so that you can stand before the Son of Man. For many of us, at one point or another, we'll be tempted to panic. We're going to be tempted to clamor for power down here. Tempted to put our trust in human temporal structures and institutions. To numb the pain of this world that feels like it's falling apart. But Luke 21 gives us a different option. It's what I appreciate about God's word. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the reality of living in a sinful world, does he? He doesn't excuse or make false promises of what his people experience. He's been really honest with us this morning. But at the same time, and here's what I love, his words are full of hope. They're full of promise. They encourage us and empower us to see above the clouds of this world. They call us to keep our eyes heavenward, knowing there is where we'll find our strength and resolve. The way in which Jesus calls us to live in between when it feels like the world is falling apart is not experienced by this white-knuckling, grit-my-teeth-and-muster-up-the-strength-to-stay-alert on my own. It's experienced, friends, by knowing you're a citizen of this new upside-down kingdom. That means the king is for you, not against you. That means there's safety and hope and peace in the shadow of his throne. That means you can take heart and you can stay alert because the, the love of this king pulses through your veins. He's given you the spirit to pursue him, to keep your eyes on him, and to represent him in all you do, no matter how much it feels like the world is falling apart. So we live as citizens of this upside-down kingdom. And as citizens, we're empowered by the authority of King Jesus to live, endure, and obey. Through the gospel, we have the power we need to fight sin, to keep running the race, and live as beacons of light in a dark world. So when it feels like the world is falling apart, we need only keep our eyes upward, where the king is ruling and reigning, knowing he will hold us fast. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that comforts us in a sinful world that you declare this morning you have received your kingdom, that you're on the throne, interceding on behalf of your people, sending us out with kingly authority, protecting us eternally, empowering us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And so would you help us not be distracted with the things that happen down here? But may we remember where our king is, and would he empower us 
to live in a world that feels like it's falling apart for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.